lyrics on. Yes, I'm Greg and I have the privilege of reading God's word this morning. There are actually two passages related to Tim's message this morning. Our first reading is Galatians 6, 1 to 10. And if you have your Bibles there, you can put your uh, finger on 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 24. Our first reading from Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And our second passage from 2 Corinthians, beginning from verse 12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on the way to Judea. I was fickle when I intended to do this. Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over you 
your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. This is the word of God. Alrighty, I've got the right sermon in front of me uh, this week, so that's a good start. Uh, Let me pray and then we'll get into it together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, giving us your spirit uh, that changes us and transforms us and makes us more like uh, our King Jesus. Uh, I pray that you would be doing that work in us this morning, uh, reminding us of your love and goodness uh, and faithfulness. Amen. Well, I first heard about quiet quitting while driving in the car listening to the radio uh, on Triple J. Now, if you're not a Triple J listener, don't hold that against me. Uh, if you are a Triple J listener, um, it's, maybe you think I'm a bit cooler. Uh, well, not anymore now that I've uh, mentioned it. Uh, but I was listening to the radio and people were calling in uh, and sharing their stories about how they'd quite quit their jobs. And, and all these people were applauded for it. Good on you for not letting work get in the way of what you're really passionate about. Good on you for reclaiming your life from your boss. Well, if you haven't heard about this trend, uh, quiet quitting is a response to the uh, bring your whole self to work mantra. Employees are saying enough's enough. I'll do as much work as I need to to get by, but I won't be putting in any more time, effort or enthusiasm than is absolutely necessary. Now, as you can imagine, there are both positive and negative responses uh, to quiet quitting. Some say it's right on, uh, like what I heard on the radio, whereas others say no, it just means that your work colleagues are going to bear the burden uh, of your laziness, or worse still, that your attitude will bleed into other areas of your life, like the way you relate to other people in your relationships. But work aside, what about quiet quitting when it comes to your faith. There have been plenty of noisy quitters over the last few years as uh, Christian celebrities on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok announce that they're deconstructing their faith to live an authentic life that is true to themselves. But my hunch is that there are far more quiet quitters than noisy quitters. Uh, People who slowly slide uh, out of Christian community. People who, little by little, compromise on their convictions and end up living no differently to everyone else. And they do it quietly, with a shrug of the shoulders. You see, quiet quitters don't come out and say they're quitting because they don't actually know that they are. But gradually they allow the things of this age to become more important to them than Jesus. And then there's the, the cumulative effect Uh, of countless little decisions. It's a slow spiritual withering. If noisy quitting is like a hot desert blast of wind that rips you away from the faith, quiet quitting is more like a slow rise in temperature over time, accompanied by a lack of spiritual rainfall. Are you in danger of quiet quitting the faith? All of us at different times, I think, are vulnerable to drifting away, what, what trajectory are you on? Are you growing 
or are you drifting? Do you feel the pull of the world with all its choices, opportunities and enticements? How can you avoid quiet quitting your faith? Well, the solution is in Galatians 5. Uh, It's summed up in four words that we've seen already in this series. Live by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit is the opposite of quiet quitting the faith. It's a call to action. Uh, We've seen from Galatians 5 that that Christ has set us free from sin to live a new life, to love and serve Him and to love and serve one another. And it's the Spirit that makes this possible. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to love and serve. The amazing thing is that God comes and lives within us and produces this fruit. And of course, we're to work at cultivating that fruit as well as we fight against the sinful nature. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. And so we've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy and peace, patience and kindness last week. Now today, we're thinking about the fruit of goodness and faithfulness. And in contrast to a lazy, quiet quitting attitude, uh, the Scriptures urge us to be wholehearted, to be all in, It's not a bare minimum kind of approach to goodness and faithfulness that the Bible holds out to us. It's a devoting ourselves to what is good. It's a committing ourselves to lifelong faithfulness. So first, goodness. What is goodness? Uh, At the beginning of the week, I was thinking about goodness. It, It sounds a lot like kindness, doesn't it? But we've already had kindness, haven't we? So what's the difference? There is a difference. Uh, I think kindness is about your attitude or your disposition towards others who may or may not deserve it, okay? Whereas goodness is about your relationship to what's right and what's wrong. So a good parent, a good tradie, uh, a good public servant, a good doctor isn't just someone who does the job well, who is competent at it or is nice to people. It's a person of moral goodness, a person of integrity, someone who does what is right. And goodness is a relative term, isn't it? Something or someone is good according to a certain standard. Uh, Sadly, our broken and sinful world gets this standard wrong. In our selfishness, we think something is good automatically if if it makes us happy or if it feels right, if it floats your boat, if it fulfills you, it must be good. That's the standard that the world operates by. It's, it's the, um, the Israelites' approach uh, to goodness in the book of Judges. You know the book of Judges in the Bible, in the Old Testament? Um, it's the same approach to the Israelites who, again and again, it says, they do what is right in their own eyes. Our world, our world's standard of goodness is doing what is right in your own eyes. But the ultimate standard of goodness is God himself, isn't it? God is fundamentally good. Remember the story of the rich young ruler in the Gospels? Remember how the rich young man comes to Jesus and when he comes to him he says, good teacher. And then Jesus responds in this strange way when he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus could have pointed out that 
actually I am good because I'm the Son of God. But he didn't because he wanted to stress the point that no human being is fundamentally good. Romans 3 puts it like this, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. Only God is fundamentally good. And it's a truth that's affirmed all through the Psalms. The Psalms praise God for his goodness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 136 verse 1. You are good and all you do is good. Psalm 119 verse 68. I could just keep going for the rest of the sermon to talk about God's goodness from the Psalms. Uh, But it's something as well that Moses came face to face with, isn't it? We saw that in Exodus when, when God caused his goodness to pass in front of him. So it's no wonder that after, like as they're on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in, in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, Moses says, about God, he is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. No one is perfect and pure like God is. No one is good, but God alone. But the amazing thing is, the wonder of the gospel is that we are declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus. And it's all because of Jesus who took our sin on himself and gave us his righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's an amazing truth, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. That's the declaration. That's who we are in Christ. And because he's given us his spirit, because we have God living in us, his goodness is planted in our lives. Though our best works are still tainted by sin, because the process of change doesn't, won't be complete until Christ returns, nevertheless, there is real change because the good God lives in us. That's why. I wonder, though, how devoted are we to doing good in the Christian life? Are we active in encouraging each other, encouraging each other to to love and good deeds in all kinds of different ways? Or are we more comfortable with the saved by grace alone through faith alone stuff than we are with the faith without works is dead stuff? But Paul and the rest of the New Testament says a lot a lot about doing good. Just a small sample. Romans 12 verse 9, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Titus 3.14, our people must devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10 that we read, Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's everywhere. There's a strong emphasis on doing good in the Scriptures. It's not something that's sort of on the sidelines of the Christian life. 
And there's an urgency, isn't there? Those words, it's like cling, cling to it. Abound in it. Devote yourself to it. Don't become weary. Don't tire in doing good. Why this urgency? Why this emphasis? It's because it's what we've been saved for. It's, it's about leaning into our purpose. In Ephesians 2, Paul, who is insistent that we can't be saved by good works, that's important, is equally insistent that we are saved in order to do good works. Check it out, it's in Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians 2 from verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are saved by grace in order to live transformed lives and goodness is right at the heart of it because it's at the heart of God. So let's not soft-pedal goodness in the Christian life. Let's, let's not be like the Pharisees who Jesus slams in the Sermon on the Mount for being the quiet quitters of their day, for seeking to do the minimum amount to appear good before others but no more. That's what the Pharisees were like. There's the warning in Matthew 5 verse 20 that Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's line ourselves up with Jesus and his ways and God's purposes and embrace the good life that seeks not minimums, but seeks maximums. Let's look to do good to all people, starting with our church family and working out from there. Let's open up every area of our lives for God to produce this fruit of goodness in us. And let's actively cultivate it. It's amazing what an impact exemplary, grace-filled generosity can have in adorning the gospel. Lots of people are convinced that Christians hate them. Some of them are your neighbours. Some of them are your work colleagues. Some of them are your friends at school, perhaps. So let me encourage you to devote yourself to what is good. Goodness is helping to resolve conflict at work or helping your classmates who might be struggling at school. Goodness is slow to gossip and quick to point out others' strengths. Goodness offers support to the troubled or grieving. Goodness shares meals and conversations with everyone from the janitor to the CEO. Goodness does what is right even when no one is watching. Goodness is God-honouring, not people-pleasing. And that's because our allegiance is to Christ, isn't it? He is our Saviour and He is also our Lord. As it said in Ephesians 2, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so the good life is lived in faithfulness to Him. So let's turn now to faithfulness. Uh, The next character trait that God grows in us by His Spirit. 
the next mark of a Christian that we're called to cultivate. So what is it? What is faithfulness? I wonder if it's a bit more straightforward, this one, to, you know, we, I think we all implicitly, well, most of us know what faithfulness is. It's, at the most basic level, it means to be trustworthy, doesn't it? It means to be dependable. It means to have honesty and integrity. A faithful person is someone that you can rely on, someone who keeps their word, someone who does what they promise, someone that you don't have to check up on every two seconds to make sure they're doing what they said that they would do. That's faithfulness. But the Scriptures expand on that uh, simple dimension of faithfulness and, and speaks about it, um, the Scriptures expand on it and speak about it as proving trustworthy over the long haul. It's steady, dependable, whole life and lifelong commitment to Jesus. Faithfulness is what Eugene Peterson calls long obedience in the same direction. I love that definition. Long obedience in the same direction. The one who proves faithful can say like Paul did to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. But of course, like we saw with goodness, this quality of faithfulness that we're called to, it's only possible because of God's faithfulness, isn't it? Again, the Psalms celebrate the faithfulness of God everywhere. Like in Psalm 33 verse 4, the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Or Psalm 36 verse 5, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Or jumping over to the New Testament, I really love how Paul prays for the Thessalonians at the end of his first letter. It's a prayer that appeals to God's faithfulness on their behalf. Listen to this, he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God has a proven track record. When he speaks, we can take him at his word. We have the history of his promises working themselves out in the scriptures. But not only that, we have the history of him delivering on those promises. As we read, as Greg read for us in, in 2 Corinthians in the passage just before, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That's the faithfulness of God. God can be trusted, that's for sure. And as you you read around that verse in 2 Corinthians, Paul is at pains to say that just as God has been faithful, so too he has been a man of his word. Did you notice that there? It seems like the Corinthians, they're upset at Paul for not visiting them, but he intended to, and he was sincere in his intention. Verse 17, was I fickle when I intended to do this or do I make plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes 
and no. See, Paul's making it really clear that he hasn't flip-flopped between options, between yes and no, to proving to be unreliable. He has been faithful. And we see as and we see with Paul that being faithful extends to the way that we relate to one another as people of integrity and sincerity. But it also means being faithful to Christ himself. It means faithfulness to the Scriptures, trusting that God knows what's best and has our best interests at heart. It means faithfulness to God's mission uh, in the world. It, It means being faithful in the work that God has given us to do. One of my favourite examples of faithfulness in the Bible is Daniel. Uh, At Youth Bible Study on Wednesdays, we've just finished Daniel, so it's fresh in my mind. I reckon he's a great example of faithfulness under pressure. Faithfulness when face-to-face with hostility. Because sometimes you and I can be made to feel like we're on the wrong side of history uh, as Christians, can't we? But it's no more than Daniel faced when he was exiled in Babylon. You might remember that Daniel works for the king and King Darius plans to promote him, this Persian king, plans to promote him and set him over the whole kingdom. But Daniel goes to work one day and everything has changed. And it won't just be his job on the line like it might be for you and I. It'll be his life. Basically, his workmates are jealous of him and they make a plan that will bring him down and put him in the crosshairs of the king. They convince the king to issue a decree and the decree says that over the next 30 days, anyone who prays uh, must pray to King Darius, no other god, otherwise they will be put in a lion's den. It's well played. It's a a sneaky move uh, from these men. Well, you can imagine how Daniel would have been feeling under this pressure. But check out his response in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel could have easily quite quit the faith right there and then, couldn't he? And yet he remains faithful. And one thing that stands out to me is that Daniel's faithfulness towards God, it's not a reactive thing, it's, it's reflexive. It was, it was a reflex. The king's decree didn't change that. Daniel's faithfulness went deep and wide because he knew where his hope lied. I think it's significant that he opened his window towards Jerusalem, God's city, to pray. Daniel was facing towards a heap of rubble and stones, a city that had suffered a humiliating defeat while Babylon basked in the glory of victory. And he prayed in full knowledge that he might be sprung by those plotting his downfall. Yet despite all this evidence that his hope was on the wrong side of history, Daniel was faithful, as he would always be. 
And so for us, in a world that's becoming increasingly hostile, we too, like Daniel, need faithfulness locked away before any decree is announced. You can't take out of the bank what's not there. We need faithfulness to be reflexive, a reflex, uh, not reactive. So how might we ensure that we're ready for whatever might come our way? How can we be cultivating the fruit of faithfulness in the world, like Daniel? It could be wise to do a faithfulness check. Uh, How's your private life, your prayer life? What do you watch and what do you read? How do you respond to criticism? Have you considered how much influence work is going to have in your life, directing your paths and your ways? Have you locked away your justification, finding it in Jesus rather than in your job description, pay scale or career opportunity? Also, it's really hard to live faithfully on your own, isn't it? We need each other. We need to learn faithfulness in Christian community and we need to be encouraged by one another. One of the great benefits of being committed, faithfully committed to a small group of people in our church, in a life group, a group of brothers and sisters seeking to encourage one another to live faithfully, is that mutual encouragement to keep going in the Christian life. Perhaps in our life groups we can help each other to navigate uh, this increasing hostility that we face in the world because it's not easy sometimes to work out what is faithful and what isn't, isn't it? Self-examination is one thing, but examination by others is another thing altogether. And so we need to help each other explore the principles that you'll abide by when the pressure comes. What can you bend on without compromise? Where is there give and take? What will you hold the line on, though, no matter what? You need to think about this before the situation comes so that our response, so that your response is reflexive and not reactive. It's wonderful to know that God is at work in us by His Spirit, isn't it? Individually and corporately to grow this fruit of goodness and faithfulness in us. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus and trust Him, be assured that He lives in you and is growing this fruit in your life. But of course, we cannot help but be confronted by our failure for the times when we do what is evil and not what is good, for the the times that we're unfaithful and unreliable as followers of Jesus. Let Let me remind you one more time as a way of finishing God's goodness, of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. There's two Two um, passages that I want to refer to. The first one is in 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. This is, a, this is a verse that I come back to again and again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> to know that even though we fail and we struggle and there are times when we fall down, 
if we turn to God in faith and repentance, He forgives us. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, that we read before, particularly the last part of this, but I'll read it in context. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him, the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. See, it's God that enables us to be faithful. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, You are good and You are faithful. Please be growing in us this fruit of goodness and faithfulness in our lives that we might display it in every area of our lives. We pray, Lord, uh, that You would enable us to stand firm, to devote ourselves uh, to what is good and to encourage each other in that despite our circumstances and despite what we might face uh, from the world for living differently. Thank you, Lord God, that you promise to do this work in us. Help us to live by the Spirit and be active in cultivating it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again now our next song.